0: release our children, child, this week, children's church. Somebody's down with friends. Yeah, okay. Well, we're going to continue um, our journey through the Sermon on the Mount, the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And I don't know about you, but, um, you know, I, I've told you weeks earlier that, that I've camped in this passage. Before, as a young Christian, and I've read it. You know, I don't even know how many times in the decades that I've been a follower of Christ. But but uh, going through it again and and studying it in preparation to preach uh, is very insightful, very challenging, and and uh, is laying me wide open, and that's a good thing. So I hope that. That the word of God would challenge you in a good way today as well. Today we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter seven, in verses one through six. The title of this morning sermon is "Judge Not." Matthew chapter seven, beginning of verse one: Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Interesting, challenging passage of direct, plain spoken words to us from Jesus Christ, our Savior. Do not judge. If you look at virtually any survey done in like the last 20, 25 years on our culture's view, of Christianity, or if you ask your neighbor who's not yet a follower of Jesus, you'll find that one of the most common words that's typically used to describe American Christians today is what? Judgmental. You hear it over and over and over again. And to be honest, sometimes I think that is not an entirely fair criticism. I think judgmentalism plagues all groups in our current culture,
1: whether secular, religious, political, racial, social, economic. It's not just Christians who make up informed assumptions or believe the worst about others. Judgmentalism is a temptation for all groups. And sometimes I do think the shoe fits. But many of you in this room know the pain Of judgmental Christianity or judgmental religion as followers of Jesus Christ we need to repent of the times that we have falsely or harshly or unfairly judged others Uh, this goes for those within the Christian faith and applies to
0: those outside of the faith we need to listen to the instruction of Jesus when he tells us in Matthew chapter 7 verse 1 do not judge, or you too will be judged. Um, of course, what that verse I just spoke—this is one of the most popular well-known verses in our society today. It seems to fit two of our culture's most basic assumptions. The first one is that religion should be private; that faith and religion is private and shouldn't be expressed publicly ever. Um, And from that, the the second basic assumption in our culture today is that morality and truth are relative. Um, So people, people see that Jesus said this, and they pull that one verse out of context and say things like, you can't tell me I'm wrong. You can't tell me I'm wrong. You can't make moral claims about another person's life. You're judging me, and that's just your truth. But if that's what Jesus meant by do not judge, then Jesus himself routinely broke his own command. Jesus made both moral and truth claims that were absolute, and he spoke them over others. Jesus said to someone, go and sin no more. How can he tell them, go and sin no more, if he's not saying that what you have done is sinful? Jesus said that out loud. It's recorded in scripture. And Jesus said, I am the truth, and the way, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's an absolute truth claim. Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus rebukes Adultery, lust, anger, lying, hypocrisy. And later in this chapter, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus rebukes false teachers. How can you rebuke a false teacher unless you're judging what they teach and saying, that's not true? So, to not judge is not to throw up your hands and say, oh, to each his own. You do you, everything's relative, and and it's okay. That's not what it means to not judge. When you do a word study of the New Testament for the word judge, you find that the word is often used in reference to contempt toward others or unfair criticism of others. The book of Romans, chapter 14, verse 10, you then, why do you judge a brother or sister or why do you treat them with contempt? For we all stand before God's judgment seat. To judge, according to the New Testament, is to unfairly and without all the facts and without a grace-filled compassion criticize others. One commentator says, The critic is a fault finder who is negative and destructive toward other people and enjoys actively seeking out their failings. He puts the worst possible construction on their motives, pours cold water on their schemes, and is ungenerous toward their mistakes. Wow. So the command to not judge is not a requirement to be blind. It's not a requirement to not speak truth in love. It is, rather, a plea to be generous and motivated by grace, grace's unmerited favor, motivated by God's unmerited favor being able to flow into their lives and lead them to faith in Jesus and faithfulness to Jesus in their living. We judge harshly when we assume we know someone's motives. How often? As someone not only told you something critical about somebody but they knew why they did it told you all about why they did it when we act as if we can see objectively into someone's heart
1: when we look at an action or decision
0: someone has made and ascribe the worst possible intentions to that when we make assumptions about someone based on their race, when we doubt someone's sincerity, when we look past all the good and true in a person's life and find the one or two faults and zero in to point that out and remark how we could have done it better, when we define people by their worst moments, their worst mistakes, their worst failures, when we refuse to give the benefit of the doubt or write others off, I don't know about you, but some of the most painful moments of my life are when I have been unfairly and harshly judged or criticized, when others have reached a verdict about me and pronounced it and applied it over my life or my family's life without knowing all the facts or without doing so in a grace-filled way. I carry deep wounds from these moments. And some of the most regrettable mistakes of my life have been when I rashly or unfairly judged others. Um, I know that I could, and I should, have done better. We need the Spirit of God to heal our wounds and to forgive us for the wounds we have inflicted on others. The role of Satan in our lives is to accuse and define us by our worst faults and failures the role of the Holy Spirit in our life, however is to forgive us of our faults and failures and define us by the work of Jesus Christ as followers of Jesus our greatest desire should be to be like Christ and to walk in the spirit so when we judge harshly We're actually doing the work of the devil. So how do we do this? How do we be people of grace and mercy? How do we seek the way of Jesus in this area in our lives and in this walk in the Spirit? I want to give you four changes or four shifts that we must make in our lives in how we relate to ourselves and to others. The first change, shift number one, is from self-righteousness to repentance. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 2 and 3. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eyes and pay no attention to the plank in your own eyes? One of the reasons we find it so easy to pass judgment and criticize or assume the motives of others is because we actually think we're better than them. Um, Jesus is telling us we're so self-righteous, judging the specks in their eyes, that we don't recognize the planks sticking out of our own. One of the ways you know that you are judging others is when you are more outraged by someone else's sin than you are embarrassed by your own. A great biblical example of the speck and log second plank is Jesus' parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke chapter 18. They both have gone to the temple to pray. And this esteemed religious leader, he goes to the temple to pray and, and looks around and says, Thank you, I am not like that Luther, over there. He doesn't recognize his own sin. He doesn't, he doesn't recognize his, his need for God's mercy. Race. He's so preoccupied with judging the tax collector that he begins to feel self-righteous. And then there's this tax collector. And tax collectors had a bad reputation. They had turned their back on their people and their nation and and were the, the agency through which Rome taxed Israel. And they taxed more than they needed to collect and turn in. And they kept the difference and became rich. So This tax collector, there at the temple, in humility, confesses his sin and pleads with God for mercy and forgiveness. And Jesus says, the attitude of the tax collector leads to God's forgiveness. And the attitude of the Pharisee leads to God's judgment. Man, I can't imagine how controversial that was when Jesus said that when he was on earth. And, and I, I think there might have been some people who had a bad reputation in society that for the first time dared to hope that they could be forgiven and included in the kingdom too. And, and I can also imagine some people that had uh, developed a perception of righteousness that might have been, been infuriated with Jesus that day. There's a strong temptation for us to look at others, point out their faults, and then feel self-righteous because we're not like them. This is where many people have been hurt the worst by churches in Christianity, by Christians who, because of their superior behavior, their what they believe to be their superior behavior or their supposed moral standing have earned the right to talk about or shame or condemn others for their behavior. For this, the church of Jesus Christ must repent. We think we have to set the world straight. Well, you know what? That's God's job, not ours. There will be a judgment game when All actions and motives will be sifted and it will include our own. Um, God is the judge. Only he has the authority to condemn. We don't have the clarity to make that judgment because we have a plank sticking out of our eye while we're trying to look at the speck of somebody else. Um, And again, I know that many of you, myself included, have been burned by religious hypocrisy. And the the temptation when we have been burned by religious hypocrisy um, is to be a religious hypocrite. And um, you may know that it is the hardest and most persistent struggle for your pastor and his family. The temptation when we have been hurt by self-righteous people, is to become self-righteous ourselves. And sometimes it feels like the hits, just keep coming. It, it amazes me how many people have such freedom to talk about the pastor and his family when they're not there. So, a sign of spiritual maturity to recognize spiritual hypocrisy in the church and want to separate from it. That's a good thing. It's a sign of maturity. The next sign of spiritual growth is to admit the same hypocrisy that's present in someone else in the church and just might be present in yourself, in myself. And then repent, it, Turn from it. Confess it. Be f- forgiven from it. Be free you recognize that, beg God to forgive us and change our hearts. Here's what I think Jesus is teaching get right with God. You get right with God. I get right with God. Um, personally. Because no matter who you are or what you've accomplished or trauma you've experienced, you don't have to answer to God for someone else's hearts and motive and sin. You answer to God for your own and we all fall short. We all need a savior. The gospel, the good news that Jesus saves points us to repentance, to confession and turning from it and living without that anymore. It points us to repentance, not critique. Often. It is because we have issues in our own life that we try to justify or relieve those tensions by pointing out the issues of others instead. Jesus says, all of your critiques of others must first be directed at your own heart. And to quote a tax collector in scripture, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's shift number one. The next change, shift number two, from certainty to empathy. Matthew chapter 7, verse 5. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clarity to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. One of the reasons we find it so easy to judge is that we are so sure that we're right about everything. We assume something is true about someone, We become convinced that we cannot possibly be wrong. And most of the time, our assumptions are like way off. Listen to when you don't talk to someone every day, and they can't wait to unload to you about somebody who's not there. Oh, I don't know. Just say the pastor and his family. Their assumptions could be way off. And and here's what we should ask ourselves. Um, Why is that person talking to you and not talking to the people that they're talking about? And the next thing we should ask ourselves, and why am I the person that this person thinks will listen to that kind of talk? Most of the time, our assumptions about others are way off. I once talked to someone just about to reach adulthood, she was upset with me
1: for preaching on family, on marriage, being only between one man and one woman, and preaching that this covenant relationship was the only God-approved
0: place for humans to express their sexuality. And so, in response to her displeasure, I shared with her the Bible passages that reveal this truth, and there's a lot of biblical evidence for that. But she remained upset with me. She stated that she, she knew Christians who said bisexuality was okay and there were other relationships for the
1: expression of human.
0: I'm still green here. Show the bars. No, you do. That's on my end. Just a great day. Okay? Okay. So I, I shared with her in the Bible passages that revealed this truth. She remained upset with me. She stated she knew Christians who said bisexuality was okay, and there were other relationships outside of the marriage covenant where it was okay with God for the expression of human sexuality. Um, as we continued to talk. She said that she had been raped by more than one family member and by others. Um, She was deeply impacted by this, as you can only imagine. Abuse started years before puberty. Do I condone multiple sexual partners? Do I condone homosexuality? Of course not. The Bible is clear on that. you hear her voice quaver and see her hand tremble. You begin to empathize with her trauma. So I tell you that to help us realize there's always a backstory, always a backstory, and you don't know it. You don't know what others in this room walking in here with Sunday after Sunday. When we make superficial judgments about people and their sin habits that they haven't worked out yet, we're doing
1: the work of the enemy. You would never want someone to judge you. Would you? Without knowing you? Without being eyewitness to what they are told
0: about you? Jesus says Gospel of Luke chapter 6 verse 32 do to others as you would have them do to you how is it that you want to be treated in that situation try that on somebody else first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clarity to remove the speck from your brother's eye so be very careful when you evaluate people based on what you think is true about them What you've heard is true about them. We need to move from certainty to empathy. So change number three, shift number three, from envy to encouragement. The opposite of criticism is encouragement. One of the reasons we're so quick to criticize others is because we're so insecure about ourselves. Maybe we wish we made more money, so we judge those who have more. Well, they must be greedy. She's not a good mom. She works too much. We feel insecure about our own habits, so we put others down. That guy doesn't drink. He must think he's better than me. When my career was as a salesperson, the, the company I worked for at the time several times a year would fly us somewhere, and there would be a, a training on the product, technical training on the products that we uh, sold. And and so every one of those companies, part of that training at night, you know, they there were you know everybody but me would get drunk, and uh, I'd be the designated driver if we had a rental car, and I'd be the sober one in the room. And I had a guy stand there one time thumped me on the chest asking me if I thought I was better than him. Why? Because I was sober and drinking a bottle of water and not an alcoholic. So, um, you know how hard it is to stand there and get thumped on the chest and respond like Jesus? You know, there there were other options of what my behavior and response would be but standing there and taking. So we feel insecure about ourselves, and so we got to take somebody else down, right? Um, We feel insecure about our own spiritual maturity, so we throw water on somebody else's fire. Oh, my gosh, he's so intense. Because we compare ourselves to others, we start thinking that in order to feel valuable, ourselves. We have to cut everyone else down to size, right? Sometimes, even when we compliment people, we throw in a backhanded insult. Here's the compliment sandwich. He's a smart guy, kind of arrogant, but a good dude. We're so afraid that if someone else's light shines, our light will be lessened. So we judge, we criticize out of our own insecurity. We must repent of that. And part of our repentance is changing our behavior. If you're not sorry enough to quit, then you're not truly sorry. We should see our role in people's lives as that of an encourager. Try it. It's a blast to be an encourager in somebody's life. We're often so afraid to truly encourage someone, we could be afraid that if we encourage them, they're going to get a big head, right? Well, that's a form of judgment. Withholding speaking life into someone because you assume that they'll take it the wrong way? Don't do that. Just pour encouragement into the life of those around you. In the kingdom of God, in the church of Jesus Christ, we should speak life into people without reservation. We can leave the conviction of sin to the Holy Spirit. God's got it. I'm inviting you to do something before you leave church today. Find somebody today, here in the church, in your family, maybe, and and tell them the good you see in them. Today, before you leave, encourage somebody. Tell them, here are the ways I see God working in your life. And that is the way of Jesus. Jesus even says in Matthew chapter seven verse two for in the same way do you judge others you will be judged and with the measure you use you will be measured against and the fourth change shift number four from harsh judgment to gentle restoration when we harshly judge someone or criticize someone in effect we're writing them off assuming they will never change Attempting to inflict pain on them or attempting to find some kind of relief from our pain by trying to cut them down. But Jesus calls us to restore people gently. Uh, the metaphor in today's passage of the speck of sawdust in the eye, that's a beautiful picture. Um, a tiny speck in the eye can do great damage, right? I mean, your eyes water and you can't see out of it, you can scratch every time. You blink and the thing's so small that you can't even see it, right? A tiny speck in the eye can do great damage. So you know what? It must be removed. It's good to get the speck out of the eye, but it must be done with tenderness. Are you going to use a pocket knife or are you going to use maybe your fingertip or a Q-tip, right? you got you got to do this the right way for it to be a positive healing outcome. It takes great care and patience and gentleness. The eye is sensitive and you have to see clearly to take a speck out or you'll do more damage than good. In the life of the church, we're around each other enough that we often see things in people's lives that are damaging Sin patterns, habits, beliefs. It is not loving or even judgmental to point those out to people. But here's the deal. Before we ever point those things out to others, we must first repent of our own self-righteousness. Uh, we must empathize. We must see it from their point of view. And we must encourage I've had people in my life point out my flaws or sins or weaknesses in unloving ways. And I've had people point those things out in my life in loving ways. When someone judges me harshly, it entrenches me. It wounds me. It never helps me. But when someone lovingly says, Rick, I see this area in your life, and I'm no saint either by any means, but let me help you. You know what? It's still painful. Even when you even when you're gentle and, and you find the speck and you get it out of your eye, it still waters worse before it gets better, right? And there still needs to be a period of time where where the eye calms down and the clear eyesight returns. But it is the kind
1: of pain that leads to healing. That's entirely different. Pain of a critical spirit. If you see sin in
0: someone's life and you're trying to figure out if you should point it out to them or not, if you haven't wept for them and for their sin, if you aren't truly heartbroken, you probably aren't ready to speak yet. If you want to come in judgment because you've got all it figured out, you've got it all figured out and how can they be acting like that? Then keep your mouth shut for a while longer and repent and empathize and encourage and then as God leads, you'll be ready. So this was the pattern of Jesus. He called us on our sin but it breaks his heart to see us pursuing things that hurt us. He called us on it because he knew that it hurt us and that it would, in fact, destroy us if we continued in it. It, That's empathy. That's seeing it from our point of view. That's interceding in a way that leads to healing. In the Gospels, Jesus is able to tell us harsh truth about ourselves and bring us closer to him. Even while he was being crucified by us, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know That's amazing. Jesus is not afraid to
1: tell us that our sin is killing us. Yet he was able to be killed so that we
0: could